If you've been pregnant or been through the experience with someone else, you've probably witnessed the power of ultrasound to peer into the body using sound waves. But that is just the beginning of ultrasound's potential. More and more, the technology is going mobile and it's gaining new powers. Someone I interviewed equated this movement similar to the technology moving from your desktop computer to your laptop computer and now your handheld tablet or smartphone. And I think it's interesting to think of it as the same mobility that you have with your smartphone. Now people in the field can take this ultrasound with them in their their pocket, in their hand. It's ultrasound. The sound waves can go through the body without causing injury. We can focus them so that they get to a more intense region that can cause a therapy or, in this case, could push a stone. There's actually a product coming out from a spin-off company to just push the stone or perhaps trap it in kind of a cage of pressure around the stone and then either electronically or manually move that stone around. That is Mike Bailey, an engineer who focuses on ultrasound research and development at the University of Washington, along with healthcare journalist Kelly Schmidt, who writes about the evolution of ultrasound in a new GeekWire article. On this episode of GeekWire Health Tech, we look at how portable ultrasound devices are changing the healthcare landscape, building on the technology's legacy in the Seattle region to go far beyond obstetrics. Ultrasound is allowing physicians to diagnose medical conditions more efficiently, both in the field and in the clinic. And increasingly, ultrasound is being used not just for imaging and diagnosis, but for actual treatment of disease. From GeekWire.com in Seattle, I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Welcome to Season 3 of Health Tech, the podcast where we tell you the stories behind cutting-edge health innovation. Our topic today the portable ultrasound revolution. Stay with us. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross, providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately 2 million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at primera.com innovation. Kelly Schmidt is a healthcare journalist who writes for GeekWire and the USC Center for Health Journalism. Her latest story on GeekWire covers the handheld ultrasound revolution. We're also joined by Mike Bailey, an engineer at the University of Washington. He conducts research at the Applied Physics Lab within the Center for Industrial and Medical Ultrasound. So, Mike, can you give people a sense for the state of ultrasound? Because I think a lot of people do associate it with pregnancy and with checking to make sure that the pregnancy is going well. But it seems like it's much more than that. I'd agree that ultrasound's much more than just imaging for obstetrics. First, the lay of the land. Seattle is a big area for ultrasound. We have Philips and Siemens. They're two of the big three manufacturers in the U.S. And then associated with those, there's all these other little companies that are slightly smaller companies that do ultrasound. Then the University of Washington is one of the founding places of ultrasound. And so within imaging which is used every day, ultrasound is a growing modality. There's increasing concern on ionizing radiation from x-rays and other things. There's healthcare cost concerns. So MRI, which is costly, tends to not be used as much. And the whole idea of shifting ultrasound, which is so portable, so accessible, so real time, 
more toward point of care as you come in the emergency department or when you first see your doctor. But yeah, I would assure you that ultrasound is not just used for babies. It's used for every organ inside the body, the heart, blood vessels, all the organs. It's used to guide therapy, like putting in a needle for anesthesia before a surgery or to take a biopsy. And then just to, this is mostly a conversation centered on imaging, but ultrasound is a, what the military calls a platform technology. The same thing, device, maybe probe, that creates an image can also use the sound energy to do a therapy on the tissue. Cook a cancer tumor, liquefy a blood clot, break kidney stones, those kind of things can be done with the same, while imaging with the same probe do therapy. So ultrasound's pretty incredible, and it's pretty centered in Seattle area. So, Kelly, you wrote about this in the story on GeekWire, but in addition to what Mike's saying about the expansion into therapies, it seems like the fundamental shift into handheld devices for ultrasound is really creating an inflection point in terms of the potential uses, the adoption. Mm -hmm. What surprised you, and can you give us a sense for the landscape on the, the mobile nature of ultrasound? Sure. Yeah, someone I interviewed equated this movement similar to the technology moving from your desktop computer to your laptop computer and now your handheld tablet or smartphone. And I think it's interesting to think of it as the same mobility that you have with your smartphone. Now people in the field can take this ultrasound with them in their their pocket, in their hand. And it's really interesting because the military battlefields, there's people in healthcare fields in remote areas, maybe rural areas where there might not be a nearby hospital, and the physician can take the ultrasound with them for house visits. I have an interesting anecdote in the article about a Polish physician in rural Poland who was able to quickly diagnose a systemic bacteria infection because she was able to quickly scan this child's body. And before this, she wouldn't have been able to lug a big, heavy, even the laptop size version would have been awkward to cart around. And in this way, she could diagnose something quicker at the point of care versus maybe later delaying medical treatment and possibly the child might not have made it. So I thought that was particularly insightful just to show how the technology was helping people on the ground. And I think someone else also mentioned midwives maybe using this in pregnancies in areas where patients have a hard time getting to hospitals. Maybe they have transportation challenges. And then UW had an example as well of using this technology in helicopters when transporting patients. A lot of times the noise in the helicopter makes it hard to use stethoscopes, so they were, could possibly use this to diagnose fluid in areas outside of the lungs and then arrange for appropriate medical teams to be awaiting that patient and already know what the diagnosis is. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. How do you explain what ultrasound does? Because I think people have probably had some interactions with it in a clinical setting, but maybe have not really understood what was happening. Can you explain the the science behind what's happening when an ultrasound takes place? Yes, ultrasound is sound. It's at a frequency above 20 kilohertz because that's about the threshold where we can't hear it anymore, so we call it ultrasound. And sound is just a vibration. So the probe tends to be made out of a piezo electric material, much like the thing inside of shoes that when you step on it, it creates a light in the shoe. This one, instead, it sends the 
electrical energy to the element and that makes it move rather than being squished it dilates or compresses and that creates the vibration at the skin surface and uh, ultrasound imaging basically sends ultrasound waves in some of the energy is reflected as it goes into the body that energy comes back to the probe and the probe then creates an image based on the intensity of the sound that's scattered back to it on top of that image which is usually in black and white it can use color Doppler to detect motion, which is usually blood flow, and it can put red or blue vessels on top of the black and white image to show where the vessels are. Mike, I know that you raised the example of something like sports, where somebody on a soccer sideline might be able to have an insight from an ultrasound. Can you walk us through that kind of scenario? I think the newest tiny machines are being marketed for almost home use or your kid's soccer game. Is this a real break or can the kid go back in and play? And I think that's a possibility. I think the technologies are there to make an image. The challenges with these tiny things are some of them that I can see are the size of the image. Can you really see what you need to see in these smaller units? And you did mention the sound in a helicopter. There's also the light outside in the daylight, uh, most radiologists are interpreting ultrasounds in a dark room, uh, so you need to have a way of presenting the image. But I think the upside in why this is coming about, it's a, it's a lot of computer advances that have enabled the shrinking of the devices, the rapid or processing, and the ability to do more with the imaging. And the, the next probably big steps are possibly working with 3D sets of data, and particularly using the computer and some kind of artificial intelligence to help point out what's being seen in the image. And then you either have telemedicine or maybe that it might go to a radiologist or that maybe the machine's smart enough to kind of tell an average consumer that, yeah, that looks okay or it doesn't. That's fascinating, the whole notion that not only is the technology getting smaller and more portable, but if you apply AI to it, you could really have almost an automated system of diagnosis. How far away are we from that? I don't know the answer to that for sure. You know, there are radiologists that are trained and specialized in this that are always going to say the humans are needed, and probably every doctor <laughs> will say that. This is kind of the web MD versus uh, a hospital idea. But certainly an example out of the Seattle area is the Verathon machine. It's a bladder scanner. And this is the idea, is, is how fluid-filled is the bladder, and that needs to be monitored. And all they do is make a probe that sits on the abdomen and then makes the measurement. It says this is the volume of the fluid in the, in the abdomen, and the machine does every piece of that. It's a tiny little device, and they're all throughout a urology clinic. So you don't have any expert needing to have the technical skill to make the image or the expertise to interpret the image. It's all in one machine. So it is here today in certain aspects, and it'll find other niches where it can replace a technical expert. I think it's really interesting to think of what this means for healthcare. I mean, what it means to have more accessible, cheaper ultrasound and, and what the future can mean. All right, after the break, we will talk about patient privacy with handheld ultrasound, the range of costs, and different uses from medical schools to conflict zones, and how the device can be used in medical treatment. That's coming up next on Health Tech. 
This GeekWire podcast is brought to you by Primera Blue Cross. I have a particular quote uh, that I like to say. I work in healthcare during the day, and then I go home to the 21st century. That's Torben Nielsen, Primera's Vice President of Innovation and Strategic Investments. And I think that just really exemplifies, uh, you know, the healthcare is way behind, right? We are probably the only industry that still subsidizes fax machine manufacturers. No other industry actually uses faxes. It's very hard for a health plan to be taking risk. Because if you think about it, health plans is all about mitigating risk. And so it really requires a very conscious effort and great support from executives to launch initiatives that actually are taking risk and where you may not know where you end up. There's a lot of unknowns as you innovate and having that support at Primero has just been a key to us and what we're trying to do. Learn more about technology and innovation at Primera Blue Cross at Primera.com slash innovation. That's P-R-E-M-E-R-A dot com slash innovation. Welcome back to Health Tech. We left our discussion at the difference between ultrasound and x-ray. Now we'll turn to how this smaller ultrasound device has an impact on patient privacy. We'll also hear how ultrasounds are being used across disciplines, emergency care, sports, NASA, disaster zones, and medical school. Kelly, when you were looking into this, I know one of the things you looked at was the increasing use of smartphones connected to ultrasound probes. What did you find there in terms of privacy implications, practicality? Can you give us a sense for that landscape? Yes. Right now, these devices can be hooked up to an individual's smartphone. And I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it it seemed from my interviews with University of Washington that it's up to the particular hospital if they want to issue their own hospital smartphones or if doctors can just bring in their own personal one. And sometimes it's a personal choice. Maybe you don't want to use your personal cell phone at the hospital for various um, issues. And so right now, it's kind of an open landscape. It's up to the individual policies. And so that means a doctor could theoretically take an image on their personal phone and save it. I don't know why they would want to do that. They probably wouldn't need to, but it does bring up issues of patient privacy. Of course, the companies mentioned that they are able to upload the images to HIPAA-compliant servers. So as long as it's uploaded to that server, your privacy is theoretically protected. Wow. Also, what was surprising to me was the cost. The cart-based models can run up to 200000 The laptop versions are between thirty and 50000 and the handhelds are under $10,000. With the new Butterfly one coming out at just 2000 which was very surprising to me that for $2,000, one could have a handheld ultrasound. Well, this is fascinating in terms of the numbers because you're talking at the high end for the traditional systems, $200,000, and then literally 1% at $2,000 on the very low end. And I realize clearly the capabilities must be very different. But what are the implications in terms of the adoption of ultrasound when the prices come down that much? Right. Well, I think it goes back to that analogy, again, of the the smartphones and just how accessible they are to the average person. Um, and I think if you apply that to medicine, there's just so many different uses that you might not initially think of. But one, one doctor I interviewed talked about uh, a research study he's working on with NASA. And you think about astronauts and where they can use that and what they can use to diagnose. And then just as we talked about earlier, just all the different areas where it might have been hard to access 
hospitals and medical technology and just putting that those devices in the hands of people who could really impact patients. Yeah, these smaller devices, they kind of came in steps, as we said, um, around the late 90s, we got those laptop-based ones, and I think they saw a broadening in the use of ultrasound and, and moving it more toward when you first get into the hospital than later on afterward. So that's what we call point of care. So it is common in the emergency department now, muscular skeletal things, contusions, breaks, torn ligaments. It really wasn't used before the portable ones in that area. Like you said, you thought of it for babies in the heart maybe, but it has expanded to really anywhere it can. And part of that is sports, like uh, the Olympics or sports teams or NASA or the military wanting to get these cheaper, lighter weight, non-ionizing devices into areas where it could be used very quickly, where there's no other option. But now it's maybe the cheaper option. You get a quick diagnosis. You decide if you need a more detailed, more expensive test later on. And to jump in there, another use that someone mentioned was in medical schools where traditionally the medical students would work on their anatomy classes by looking at cadavers and instead they could actually, or maybe in addition, they could use the ultrasound to look in real time at the organs and learn that way. So as a learning tool, because it's less expensive and more accessible, they'd be able to have them in classrooms. Another implication of that is that if medical students are getting used to using them in their curriculum, they would probably be more familiar with them and more comfortable with them and want to have one in their own practice. So that also changes how prevalent they are. That's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Another example that was interesting to me was in tragedies, if there's a big earthquake, anywhere you can think of where it might be hard for people to get to hospitals. And I think that's where this is really useful. Someone mentioned the, in the battlegrounds where maybe you want to check to see if there's internal bleeding, if shrapnel has entered the body, then, then right there you have this. I think they weigh about so less than a pound. So you can just imagine that be a lot easier to cart around. Yeah. So, Mike, tell me more about your lab. Uh, sure. The, the University of Washington is a huge research center. Uh, we're number one or two on the uh, public funding lists, uh, NIH funding lists every year. It's like a billion-dollar research industry, and one of our core strengths is ultrasound. Uh, so you have physicians doing research, students of all types, more medicine students to engineering to computers. I'm in a lab that actually falls within an old Navy lab that was using sonar to find submarines or ships, and it's the same basic technology, scaled down and, and suitable for, for what's being done in medicine. We generally write grants to NIH. NASA has a strong interest in medicine for their astronauts, and other imaging modalities are not an option. And the idea of surgery in space is an intimidating one. So if we could do something like cauterize a bleed to save someone's life transcutaneously with just a probe against the skin, that's appealing to NASA. NASA has an increased risk of kidney stones. So we could try to treat stones in ways that they come on earth. Gallstones, same deal, if they could find those, help diagnose them. So ultrasound's the main interest there. DOD similarly wants to get uh, answers for the military. So we write grants to those, and the students generally do research from all ranges, from modeling to understand some of the things that ultrasound can do, like ultrasound can 
create what's called a, a radiation force that can push an object, and we can push objects in the body. We can use tractor beams to pick up objects and move them around in the body. And so that's some complicated modeling up to building probes that can do these kind of things, animal studies to prove safety of the FDA, and then we actually go into clinical trials with devices that we've built. You just said tractor beams that could like pick up objects without any kind of invasive surgery in the body and move them around? Is that possible? I kind of gave away the thing I'm most excited about right this minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us about that? Well, I think we, we, we're doing that in, in pigs now, and uh, we hope to write that up soon. Um, we've got a great student working on this. He just finished his dissertation, and is uh, it, it's kind of cutting edge. There's other people lifting up uh, small styrofoam things in air. Uh, we're actually going after real live objects that might be inside the body. And that's ultrasound. It's ultrasound. The sound waves can go through the body without causing injury. We can focus them so that they get to a more intense region that can cause a therapy or, in this case, could push a stone. We, there's actually a product coming out from a spinoff company to just push the stone or perhaps trap it in kind of a cage of pressure around the stone and then either electronically or manually move that stone around. Wow. That, that blows me away. I didn't know that was even possible. <laughs> you must be a lot of fun at dinner parties. <laughs> I, I only know a very small field. <laughs> uh, it shocks me that this is, this is what I do, this tiny little area I'm so thrilled about. And, but ultrasound continues to evolve very quickly and, and expand in what it can do. So um, I think it is the reward that we can go from discovering things like how much force you can push on something with, with ultrasound to testing it in humans and having a real clinical benefit. Kelly Schmidt is a healthcare journalist who writes for GeekWire and the USC Center for Health Journalism. Check out her story about handheld ultrasounds on GeekWire. Mike Bailey is a University of Washington engineer at the Applied Physics Lab within the Center for Industrial and Medical Ultrasound. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Tech. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend or a colleague about the show. This episode of Health Tech was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. A big thanks to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 3, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at primera.com slash innovation. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, geek life, and business, go to geekwire.com and sign up for our podcast newsletter to listen to other shows that we produce. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Talk to you next time on Health Tech.